Memphis Drum Shop is the world's premier provider of percussion instruments. With six showrooms of gear, MySymbol.com, the Memphis Gong Chamber, and a first-rate repair department, turn to Memphis Drum Shop for all your percussion needs. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Bobby A, and today I wanted to tell you about how much I really love the Hudson Music Digital app. Okay, now, check it out. It's an app that you can get for your device, and you can purchase books from the Hudson Music Digital Store and have them stored right on your device. The great thing about it is you always have it with you and any content that might be video related or music related is right there at your fingertips. It's a wonderful resource. Welcome again to another edition of Drummer Nation. And in this case, I'm very happy to have not only my esteemed world-class co-host, Adam Nussbaum, but three other world-class drummers as well, Joe Hunt, Jeff Hamilton, and Harold Jones. And you might want to know what all those uh, three other guests have in common, besides the fact that they're all great, wonderful drummers, and that is that they all come from a little town called Richmond, Indiana. And uh, I don't know of any other small town that's produced so many great musicians uh, through such a long period of time. I'm going to read this, but let me, you guys know this, but I'm sure the, the, the watchers don't because I didn't. Richmond is sometimes called the cradle of recorded jazz because the earliest jazz recordings were made at the studio of Gannett Records. Uh, and they were the first at Gannett to record such artists as, and dig this list, Louis Armstrong, Vic Spiderbeck. Jelly Roll Morton, Duke Ellington, Fats Waller, and Hoagie Carmichael, including Hoagie's first recording of Stardust, and Pops himself, uh, uh, Louis Armstrong's first recording ever with King Oliver's band. So what what's going on there, man? Is something in the water? How did all that happen in Richmond, Indiana? Hmm. You guys jump in at will. I, I defer. <laughs> I've heard the stories, but I think these guys have a clear picture of it. Well, it was in the center of where everybody was coming from New Orleans to Chicago, New York to the West Coast, the West Coast. It kind of was in the center of a crossroads. You know, like the first movie, the first movie was shown in Richmond, Indiana. Mm. Yeah. But I think that's probably why it was in, it was where everybody was on their way to a gig, I think. Yeah, and I think, I, I think Jeanette Record, the Jeanette family, came up with this recording technique with the Victrola, and the the legend has it that when Louis Armstrong liked the recording quality of those recordings, he drove either the Hot Five or Hot Seven down from Chicago to record in Richmond, and they kept asking Louis Armstrong to stand back from the semicircle around the Victrola because his sound it wasn't too loud; it was just a big sound. <laughs> and he kept stepping back and stepping back. It was like, the, I guess, winter, you know, and they opened the door and he was standing outside. And that's where they got the perfect mix for the band when he was standing playing through the door around the Victrola. So, but it, wow. it was also, it was also next to Star Piano Company, S-T-A-R-R. -R. And, um, and both were lost in a fire. Both buildings were lost in a fire when I, when I was very young, I mean, or maybe, maybe, before, no, I think I was still, I was still in Richmond. It was really young. 
but yeah, it was, it, they just, they, they had great recording quality. That's why all those people wanted to come there and record. And, and by the way, it's on the way to like Harold said, it's on the way mm -hmm. to where we're going. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, the, uh, the uh, bands, the bands, like Harold said, it was sort of a, a, a place where people trans, trans, transferred through the movie houses back there, the Tivoli Theater, the State Theater. We think we had three movie houses. Those two had live bands would come and play because uh, they had time off and it was like a rehearsal for them, I guess. I saw Woody Herman's band playing one time. It was an all-star band, Milt Jackson. He had Shadow Wilson, Gene Ammons, uh, Shorty Rogers. It was a fabulous band in my hometown, our theater, our hometown theater, Tivoli Theater, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. It was kind of crazy. And uh, anyway... Yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe, you took me out to the PVI when Claude Thornhill was coming through, and he oh. had Gene Quill and Phil Woods. That's right. That was a great band. Yeah. Was it uh, Billy yeah. Exner? Uh, Frank Isola. Frank Isola. All right. Yeah, yeah. Now he was from yeah. Detroit, wasn't he? Right. Right. Frank Isola, great drummer. Yeah, I played with yeah. Stan. Stan yeah. Gus. He was with Claude. Yeah. Bill Anthony, bass player. Um, it was a great band. Great. Well, how about the local scene there? There must have been some other great players uh, when you guys were coming up. Were there clubs or places where there was a trio? Or were you doing like weddings and parties? And, you know, what was the local scene like? Well, I'm probably the oldest one here. So, yeah. I mean, I could. <laughs> I want to start with you then. Um, you know, Joe, the Mike. No. My yeah, question the is, is no, basically. Yeah. There you know cuz I was always, you know, I'm always curious, you know, who lit the fire and and you know, helped to kindle your your interest when you were a youngster, you know, there's usually somebody you had to have seen or something that, you know, on the local. Well, we probably each was, one had a separate experience. My my first uh, addiction to drums came when uh, Spike Jones band played in our high school <laughs> richmond high and uh it was the first time i'd seen a live drummer who could play good and uh and the guy i was fascinated by the hi-hat man this hi-hat you know this is a cool thing and i i wanted to do it you know i wanted to play like that guy so that's the bug that bit me i guess watching that spike jones drummer how uh, old were you I was probably middle school, junior high, probably something like that. And had you had any kind of musical training well, or anything? Like I say, each that? of us have a different story. My older brother right. is quite a lot older than me, and he uh, he had seventy eight records, and they were they were great. And uh, when he when he went to service and got into World War II, he left me his collection. So I started. My favorite was a Count Basie record called "Doggin' Around." And that and I could, uh, Papa Joe Jones was the drummer, and Prez was playing a great sax solo. So I I played the record out. I think I literally wore it out, you know. And uh, and of course I wanted to hear more. So uh, I knew I was just sort of putting things together, you know, these guys' names and the great sound. And and uh, my brother had a pair of brushes. He was a clarinetist, but he had a pair of brushes that he fooled around with. So. When he split, he left the brushes. So I started playing brushes with the records, you know, <laughs> and that's how I got started. I mean, each one of us is a little different story. 
Of uh, course, but it's jumping, fascinating. Jump, well, jumping ahead, Harold and me, we used to get together, the two of us, and just play all day, man. We put yeah. our drum sets uh, together, and and I was sort of the uh, the the, the, the uh, host of the thing. I would I yeah. would sort of feature this. Okay, this week, Harold, let's check out Gene Krupa <laughs> and Art Blakey. We'll be we'll feature them, and we try to play like them, right? We take we take turns, and man, it was a lot. Of, it was a ball every Saturday, man. I look yeah. forward to going. To Harold's yep. crib and play drums with him. So yep. we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trying, trying to sound like these guys. You know? <laughs> Must have done something right. Was there any local playing, yeah. local gigging going on then? Uh, not to speak of, not any jazz much. Uh, to me, no, but to me, Joe, uh, it was you and Paul Plummer picking me up and we'd take go to John Pierce's house. Oh, yeah, John, John, right. John. He was a catalyst, yeah, John. Yeah, Pierce. he was a Paul Plummer was a tenor player, correct? Yeah, he was John. Yeah, yeah. Paul, John yeah. Pierce was from Kansas City, and he was uh, probably our uh, sensei, I guess you could say, because yeah. he had a he had a house on the West Side where uh, Jeff, you're a West Side guy, right? Right. I, think. I can't remember the location, but he had a uh, kind of one of those prefab after the uh, war houses mm -hmm. and. Uh, and he hosted sessions on Sunday afternoons, and we'd go over and play. And uh, and he'd he'd play Bird records for us and have us sing along with him. We'd have to <laughs> memorize the Bird records. And, I mean, that was great, man. I mean, you know, it was what I Harold and me loved it. We that's what we wanted to do, you know. So it was sort yeah. of right, Harold. It sort of was cool. Well, the first time I, uh, you and Paul have both had tears in your eyes, taking me picking me up. And you guys had tears in your eyes, and I said, "What? What's what's wrong?" And you said, "Charlie Parker died today." Mm. Oh, I was in the car when you guys told me that. Well, he was, yeah. of course, very important uh, to all of us, but uh, he he yeah. was extremely important to us because uh, we could sing his solos, you know. Because John, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah so special. Yeah, I yeah, and you know, uh, uh, Jeff mentioned that we were talking about Leo Ryan, John Pierce, uh, yeah. Andy Simpkins, too. I think those three yeah. guys come to my mind as sort of senseis for us, you know. Andy yeah. was a little older than Harold and me, but he yeah. was the first to get a really good gig with the three sounds. But uh, yeah. we, play we played with him, you know, and uh, yeah. he was very encouraging. You know, especially yeah. to me because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, and I'd go to his house and play with him. You know, and he was, I, he was great. Yeah. I got to jump in. You know, I think you know during that period. You know, like as I say, during those Wonder Bread years, for young drummers to have a great bass player to play with hmm. is invaluable. Right. Right. Yeah. And Andy, Andy played great piano too. Wow. He played yeah. Bass, you know, left hand yeah. bass. There. Well, he was Joe, really good. Joe and Harold, yeah. you know, uh, Andy's first instrument was clarinet at Hibbard, right? You know when he switched so, to bass? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. No. I, 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 I met don't. him because my mom taught at Hibbard. She was a school teacher. Okay. And that was the connection how I first met Andy through uh, through my mom. His okay. father was a janitor at Hibbard. And, at Hibbard. Uh, and they lived right across the street from Hibbard, right? They did. They yeah. Did. That house. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
And then, yeah. of course, later, Harold and, and Andy wound up in Los, both in Los Angeles, you know, and you guys have yeah. quite a history, the two of you. you yeah. Know. Yeah, it, it was quite natural. Because, <laughs> you, you know, back then, Andy used to help my dad wash cars out in our garage in the back. And, and Andy was older than me, so he got to work on the paint only. And I had to do windows and chrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I was too young. Because, you know, back then, the paint, you might rub it off, I think, if you rub too hard. Yeah, so uh, I was always envious of Andy being able to do the paint. And I had to do chrome. Because you could get a chrome cut, man, and you didn't know you were bleeding until 10 minutes later. <laughs> well, did, you get, did you get back at him later when you were playing a ceremony or something? Did you talk, talk him about the chrome? <laughs> no, no, Andy was always hard to beat, especially when the bill came at the dinner. He'd be the first to have to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. what, a, what a beat that guy had. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was so yes. yeah. he was he and he and John Pierce, uh Leo yeah. Ryan, I think those guys were all really important uh yeah. uh leaders, leaders for us yeah. young, youngsters, you know. And and you drove me over you drove me over to David Baker in Indianapolis with oh, his yeah. big band. Well that's that another, was another thing. Uh, teacher, big yeah. teacher. David yeah. yeah, yeah, and this was when he was playing trombone. Yeah. yeah. Now was Al Kiger out there also? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, he was around yeah. there. Well, Wes okay. Montgomery, Wes Montgomery was another teacher too. Right. Yeah, he was a, he was a very, uh, very giving guy, man. I mean, you know, yeah, he was, he was special. Yeah. yeah, these people, man, they have such a important part in our lives you know and amen yeah. for them all you know it's true. It's true. Yeah. so even though it was such a small town you still had a, a lot of good players there to work yeah to work with and learn from we did yeah i i think for for me coming coming along a little later is that uh you know my dad was in Patton's army and when he came home that was of course that was the big band era and they liked basie and and uh uh tommy dorsey band and you know so i i was surrounded by big band records in our in our house that you know the size the, the stereo the size of a 56 cadillac you know sitting in the living room and uh and i and i would just you know listen to my folks big band records what, what few we had and then that led me to specialty record shop on main street which oh, was yeah. uh, an incredible these gentlemen know an incredible record shop and they started steering me toward what i needed to listen to based on what i had been listening to and you could go into these booths and put headphones on and kind of audition the lp you were going to buy if you wanted it so they were very very helpful i bought <laughs> i bought the count basie duke ellington first time up there uh at their recommendation and oscar peterson night train and the trio plays and they, they really were helpful in guiding me uh, to the records I needed to hear. And, um, and they were great people too. They were so nice. They were, they kind of took, took me in and I'd be up there every Saturday with my yeah. lawnmower money buying records, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. Another, link. another link. Yeah. And you know, we were, we, Joe and I, Joe had such a connection to specialty records that they called him 
and told him when the delivery guy was coming through the alley with the records. <laughs> and we, we'd right. show up in the alley behind the record shop, and he'd open up his trunk. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Yeah, Joe. I remember all this. Well, I'm yeah, glad you guys. I never, you know, I've never stopped. Yeah. Right? I'm yeah, glad you guys yeah. were gone eventually because I wouldn't have got any records if I'd known that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Jeff, you were well aware of those guys, right? Because I think I remember yeah. you telling me uh, when you were wondering if you could be a professional drummer and make a living playing jazz. You said, "Well, you know, look at Joe Hunt and Harold." Yeah. Jones. Well, actually, other people were wondering if I could. I, I was always sure I could do it, you know. But you always got people telling, oh, you need to come back and be the high school band director at Richmond High, you know. And uh, uh, Harold, Harold may not remember this, but he was in the Richmond High School Orchestra with my oldest sister who played string bass. And when, when they were at Dennish, uh, both my sisters played string bass. They had to stand on a chair to play the instrument, you know. I mean, was, the bass was so big. And then um, there was a there was a variety show uh, every year at Richmond High School called Footlights, and they would draw off the the high school talent to put on the show. And there'd be tap dancers and singers and all this, and the whole community would come and see this high school production of Footlights. And Harold Jones was a phenomenal drummer when I was about seven years old and I went over, I think you might've been a senior, junior, senior in high school. And I, I couldn't believe that I, I, there it was, I'd seen Gene Krupa play on TV and I'd seen various bands playing like black and white TV, but that's the first time I saw anyone play like Harold Jones. And that, that was a big, big source of inspiration for me that man, he's in Richmond, Indiana, you know, he, I, maybe I can get this done after all. If, if he can do it, yeah, <laughs> anybody can do it. No, no, no. <laughs> then, 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 then uh, you know, as I was talking yeah. to the gentleman earlier that Leo Ryan, the name that keeps coming up, uh, had a trio in Richmond and uh, his brother played bass, up, upright gut string bass, Dean Ryan, and, and we all knew Dean and Leo. And Leo uh, heard me in the other restaurant that had a piano trio, Carol Lou and uh, John Hedges. And uh, I got an opportunity to play with them as did, you know, did uh, Harold, but two trios in restaurants in, in Richmond was just unheard of at that time. So I think, I think another part of, of why the music was important to people is that we had a great school system. The music system in the schools was fantastic uh, when I was coming up, I and mean, I assume it was when you gentlemen were there. El Rod yeah. uh, was the teacher there, I think. Harold, when you were there, and, and uh, no, did you know, uh, in band, yeah, that's after me because uh, okay, Graham? I had Ben Ben Graham, yeah, okay, and and the guy that got me my scholarship, Robert Carr. Robert oh, to Carr. Chicago, right? Yeah, to yeah. Chicago. Robert Carr got me directed. Okay. So I got to give him big credit. Yeah. yeah. I, it, Richmond had the first organized high school orchestra in the United States. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's how forward thinking the music system was, the music program. So I, I had a snare drum. I was taking private lessons in third grade. You know, the teacher came into the class and put that flutophone down and come down in the basement, play Faith of Our Fathers with the violin player. You know, so that was <laughs> They would start you young, so I think that helped yeah. you. You know, I think yeah. that, that happened. I think that happened after my time. 
Yeah, Joe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Guy, ben Graham, he had a brother, Paul, who was kind of cool. Paul played tenor. But Ben, the, the, uh, the high school music teacher, he was a square man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <He was. laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I remember the, we, had, we had a yeah. choice. This was way back, you know, 50s. Yeah. 50s, you know. yeah. So, well, uh, yeah. you know, as, as far as jazz could, is we could, concerned. We could take either art or music, right? And so yeah. I, I took the, the art, you know, uh-huh. music. I, you know, as far as jazz was concerned, it never really. Well, they had a stage band when you were in there, you guys, right at Richmond. Did you have your own? Yeah, list? yeah. Uh, maybe they did own. when I was there. Okay. Yeah, they did when I was there. Yeah, that yeah. that was gone when I came in. It was strictly concert band and marching band, and uh-huh. and I was I was such a pest to John Parshall, the band director, about let me put together the jazz ones, and of course they wouldn't let it with administration. So Earlham College had a jazz ensemble, and the director came over and he said to the band director. Do you have anybody who wants to play drums in a big band? My band director said, take this kid out of my hair right now. And and I, at 15, <laughs> I got to go over and play with the Earlham Jazz Ensemble. So now you know, we, what year? What year was that? Uh none of your business, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a music department. And I, they didn't no, have no, it, one one guy or... came in, Donald Chan was his name. He came in and he had a bunch of Buddy Rich charts and he started a band. And I knew all the Buddy Rich, you know, all the, the, the love for sale and all that. So so I, I it's kind of like I had my own big band at 15 years old. So uh 60, 67, 68, you know. Things got hipper oh. in your yeah. generation. He, yeah. 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 A Quaker yeah. college with a jazz band. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Did you guys each leave to go on the road with a big band or to go to college or, or what? I left I to go to college. college. I didn't want to go to college, no. but they, you know, they made me, I wanted to go on a band bus when I was 15, but mm-hmm. I, I went to Indiana university for two years, long enough to know I needed to get on a band bus. And that's when I go. What, what about you? Cause you know, you're the uh, elder statesman here. Yeah. Which yeah. was the first, what, what was your first venture out of town? Uh, um, I guess I was like Jeff. I didn't want to finish high school. I summer before my old senior year, my parents let me go on the road with a uh, with an alcoholic trumpet player named Bobby Geyer, and uh, he had a he was a famous guy. I guess he had had some big band gigs, but he was a character. And uh, but anyway, I spent about six weeks up at Lake Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Great was, school. The terrible band, but I loved it. I just loved playing my drums every night, and somebody's paying me money to play my drums. Holy cow! I mean, this is, how can yeah. it be better than that? You know, so I came back and told my dad, I don't want to finish school. I want to stay on the road. He said, no. Like, I guess, Jeff, you had the same. Yeah. And, uh, my father was very supportive. And he said, no, you're going, you, you're going to music school. You know, but, you know, you, it could be music school, but you're going to school. So I went to IU. Mm-hmm. And that was, the, that was an eye-opening. God, my goodness, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Did there. they but, have a jazz department at that time? No, but they had a lot of great jazz players. Right. All, all over the place. People, you know, like us who wanted to play, and uh, there was no shortage of jam sessions. And I mean, Jazz was still a four-letter word back then, right? Well, people were listening to Miles, Miles Davis and John Coltrane by that time, you know, and bebop was happening, and we were right. trans, transcribing and – I was trying to play like Philly Joe Jones, you know, and uh, 
and it, it was hot. It was just great. You know, it was, it was everybody was on the same page, you know, the guys who like were Jer- some of the Jerry other Coker? people. Well, some were students and some were Freddie. Freddie Hubbard came down from Indianapolis and, uh-huh. uh, oh, oh, by the way, Larry Ridley, very dear friend of mine. I talked to yesterday. We, we stay in touch and, uh, Harold, he wants to talk to you, Larry. Remember Larry oh, yeah. Eastler? I so, dated his sister. Oh, Easy now. Easy. <laughs> Hold it. Yeah. No. Oh, she was image. pretty. She was pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was a handsome yeah. guy, Larry. He's st- still on the in the scene, you know. I we, know. We talk, I know. We talk, we talk every week. But uh, yesterday we were talking. I told him about this. He said, oh, man, Harold, call me. I want to talk to Harold. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm gonna send, okay. I'll send you his uh, phone number and stuff. Well, Harold, I got when, it. I think. But when you left, uh, when you left Richmond, Harold, where did you go? Was it a big band or? No, no. I got this scholarship. That oh, the right. teacher, the band director, got me this scholarship to audition in uh, at the American Conservatory, and he knew the exam for some reason. He knew what I was supposed to play at the exam. He had me go over it and and over it for like two weeks before I was going to leave. Yeah, and I went up there, and I just went right to it. With oh, so you really were sight reading it, really good, huh? <laughs> hey, man! Hey, hey! hey. Always uh, best to know the material. Right. Yeah, I so play you... better if I've heard it before. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, yeah, 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 yeah. I read it. I read. Hey, it, Adam, man. you get your yeah, gigs yeah. your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you all had very supportive families and very supportive yeah. and very good uh, teachers and good education programs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that's one thing in common. Um, yeah. You know, some people have cited uh, something of an American heartland sound. They used to refer to it in the early days with like country, you know, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family and all that. And then later with rock and roll, you know, uh, John Mellencamp and that kind of stuff, or maybe Pat Metheny was pulled into that genre. Is there a, a, a Heartland drum style? Is there anything that unifies you guys based on maybe location, do you think? I I have talked, you know, John Von Nolan is, was a mentor of mine, and I actually left Indiana to study with him. And eight months later, he turned me around from a buddy rich wannabe to somebody that can put a band on their back and play Tommy Dorsey music, you know, that was my first gig, the Tommy Dorsey band. And he was saying that, you know, Jack Guilfoy and a lot of the guys around Indian Indianapolis at that time, there's something in the cymbal beat. And we all play it differently, but there's something that jumps out of the cymbal beat. And you go, that guy's from Indiana, that guy's a Hoosier. And and I heard a drummer about three years ago in Cleveland. And he missed most of the things in the big band, but his ride cymbal, it was a Hoosier beat. And I, I, we don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but you, you that guy's from Indiana. And, and, and we, none of us, I, you guys feel the same way. I mean, you can't put your finger on it, you know? Yeah. I, I can say, uh, yeah, I remember in Indianapolis around the, in the 50s, the late 50s, early 60s, there was a whole bunch of fabulous drummers. Uh, Black Cats, I think mostly, but really good. I mean, just fabulous. Uh, Thomas Whitted, uh, Paul Parker, uh, <clears throat> man. And they had this beat, they would play with conga players, you know, and they were good conga yeah. players. Um, 
Ronnie was Ryan. Ray there? Was Ray Appleton out there too? No, no, he's a kid. Yeah, he was later. <clears throat> he, he's uh-huh. a little bit, little bit later. A little bit okay. Later. But he came yeah. pretty soon after. But these guys, I mean, they were fucking great, man. Pardon my language. But they were just yeah. out, out of sight, out of sight. And they, and the conga player, you know, has an eighth note feel. You know what I mean? So the cymbal beat of these guys was a kind of an eighth note, straight eighth note thing. Mm. And, and of course, we all get eighth notes fast, but they'd be in medium tempo. Ting, 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 you know? And it's, that's an Indiana thing or a Midwest mm. thing, I think, you know? Mm. That straight eighth note. It's, it's more than just that, but that's the way West Montgomery played. Mm-hmm. He played that way. And he had, uh, had uh, Jimmy Lovelace played with him. He was from Kansas City. That's another kind of a Midwestern. Mm-hmm. You, you ever hear, check him out, Jimmy Lovelace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Man, on a video a, of Wes's. What a super drummer that guy was. Yeah. When, I, when right. I first got to New York, he was playing around a lot and wonderful drummer and yeah. a very supportive, a great, great guy. Great to hear great him. Pet. Yeah. I, I never forget, I heard him at a jam session one night at a club called Barber's. He used to be on the 3rd and McDougal. And he was playing behind the tenor solo and he was way up on the top of the beat. And then when it was time for the piano solo, the tempo didn't change, but he shifted more behind the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to to hear somebody that had that control of shading the time. I know, man. was, Was really extraordinary. Well, he's, Kansas, he's a Kansas City guy, but he what a he had a feel, like you said, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard I, that, and it was like, <laughs> no, no, no. He, well, yeah. he's on those records with what? He was West's drummer when yeah. uh, when West had his own group before he passed with Mayburn and uh, Arthur Harper. Yeah, that was a great rhythm section. All yeah. of them. Just yeah, Adam. When I when I shift gears like that, it usually means I'm lost. Comes <laughs> <laughs> out in the wash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the idea that there's a, a sound associated with that area. You know, New Orleans is that way. You can hear a New Orleans yeah. drummer and say, "There's some New Orleans in there." You yeah. know. Yeah. The Boston drummers. Away. I think the Boston drummers have an identifiable quality. Mm-hmm. A certain kind of articulation. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear <laughs> I hear well, you've been up there long enough now, Joe. I, I know I have. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean like Al Alan Dawson, you mean like Alan, Alan Dawson, Roy yeah. Haynes, Clifford Jarvis, oh, I Bobby Ward. who came from Boston. I see what you're saying. Tony means Tony, there's there's a thing in there. Yeah. Well, both yeah. of my folks graduated from Boston High School in Indiana, so maybe there's a connection to <laughs> Boston, Indiana. <laughs> the stories that go on. I mean, if these walls could talk, holy mackerel, we'd all go to jail. <laughs> but Harold, I, I, how how did you how did you get from the conservatory to Paul Winter concert? Because you came through Richmond and played at Townsend Center when I was in high school, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and I came to hear you play with that band. And I, I was always curious how you got from the conservatory to that. That was your first group out of the conservatory. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Paul, he he was good. 
these kind of things. They had an intercollegiate jazz festival mm -hmm. from colleges, colleges around the country. And then the winners in the specific cities got to go to Washington, D.C. to be, have the final test. And uh, we won in Chicago and we went down to Washington, D.C. and we won down there. And it, that was how we got the South American tour because the judges were uh, uh, with John Hammond from mm -hmm. the Hammond Organ mm -hmm. things. Uh, Gene Lees, who at the time he was the editor of Downbeat Magazine. And I can't remember the third judge, but they qualified as being able to say that we should be able to be the ones to do the American South American tour. Right. And that, ba that band just kept going and kept going and the rhythm section there was good. I mean, yeah. it, Richard well, not, Evans on bass. That's right. I remember that. Warren Bernhardt on piano. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. had an array of percussion around you too, which I didn't know you had done at the time. Well, you know, going through South America, you end up collecting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buy another yeah. suitcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want one of those. And I want one of those. Yeah. <laughs> but you see these things you hadn't seen before and whatnot. Yeah. 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 And that that lent itself to Paul's music, though, right? He was a little more, a little more out than than traditional. He kept bonkers. going. He kept right on going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harold, when you were down in South America, were there any of the drummers that had an impact on you down there? Do you remember anybody Boston, in particular? Those Boston Nova drummers, they were just like jazz drummers. I mean, they were all individually a little different, you know. Right. But you could you could hear that pocket, man. You could mm. hear that pocket. I fell in love mm. with that music, but I was a jazz man. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But the, yeah, it, it had a, I I heard it as its own self. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some of your yeah. favorite drummers, Jeff, are Brazilian, right? Yeah. And we say we're in touch a lot. Uh, Paulo Braga is, uh, even though he doesn't speak English, we're, you know, we're on, on social media like three or four times a week. And I'm, I've got the translation out trying to figure out what he's saying. Celso de Almeida, uh, Edu Ribeiro is one of my, they're all dear friends. Um, uh, once you go there, they, they want to talk about what you do and you want to talk about what they do. And so, <laughs> So yeah. it, it's a lot of fun. Ray Brown told a funny story when they went over there with jazz at the Philharmonic and he and Oscar Peterson wanted to go hear the hot band. And they said so they walked down these stairs, and they got their overcoats or they, they're, you know, they're dressed to the nines and they go down the stairs and, and the band is like, okay, OP, we're ready for this. And the band sees him get to the bottom step and went, check it, you get that, the ding, the ding, ding, the ding, the ding, the ding, the ding, the ding, the ding. No, no, no. No, no, no. I want to hear what you think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that generation. These guys can do it. They, you know, I mean, they can play jazz. They're they're really versatile. And, yeah, Celso, Rafael Barada. Yeah. You know, I mean, all, all these guys are just, they're just wonderful, wonderful. Daduka, you know, Adam, Adam, you know, Daduka. All these cats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so many of them now. But I, I'm actually in touch more with those guys than a lot of American drummers, you know. 
um and brushes brushes kind of fascinate them too you know they want to they want to do something different with brushes well, than they're doing so. well i love the brushes because you can tell i'm not using a comb so <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and you spend so much money on your instrument the pizza box you know? i've had to <laughs> as long as it's kosher yeah. <laughs> do you have a pizza hut endorsement now <laughs> no 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 but uh you know I, I found this record that that joe is on oh man with a bird seeger yeah <laughs> i love the cover oh, and yeah. uh this one had garzon the other one had jimmy Mosier, oh, another right. one of the uh boston legends up there did you when you were do you was jimmy zatano still doing stuff up in boston when you were up there no, he wasn't. Yeah. He was pretty long gone. I think he, he uh, left Boston in maybe the early 60s to go to New Orleans to play with Al Hurt. Al Hurt, right. He had that gig for a long time. And, uh, right. He never came back. I don't know what happened to him after that, but he didn't right. come back to Boston. Right. But he was a hell of a big band drummer. I, I love his uh, big band recordings with Herb. Mm. They're yeah. quite, uh, quite good. Joe, are you still, Roy. Hmm. Was you still gigging, Joe? Are you still gigging? Oh, yeah. Well, I play once a month with my own quartet at a little club in Cambridge here. But uh, I don't do like weddings and stuff like that because it's uh, I have some disabilities now. It's a little hard to walk and get around. And, you know, I'll be 85 in a couple of weeks. So good for you. But anyway, I still play. Playing weddings is a disability, you know. It is. <laughs> I've been disabled many times. But Harold, I know you're still busy, right? No, I, well, I've been busy right up to now, but uh, uh, no, I'd like to just do my big band once a month out here where I am. Yeah. And play I have disability. I'm just trying to do it a little better. I'm trying to do that ability. Disability. So, Harold, you're, are you getting yeah. uh, like four and five rounds of golf in a week? Well, my my feet are so bad, I can't do it more than twice. Yeah, okay. Well. Yeah, my feet are so bad. But, yeah, I'm able to shoot my age. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You told me you told me at the front door you have a set of drums and a set of golf clubs and one of the other right. guys car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Time you we leave. Live. <laughs> where we live in case of fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't play tennis anymore, do you? Oh no, not since the elbow surgery. Now yeah, I blew a ligament off the uh, elbow, and the doctor said, "Have you ever made a dime on the tennis court?" And I said, "No," and he said, "Put the racket down." Yeah, but, <laughs> no, that was you it. got another racket going on. I got another racket. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you all teach? I think uh, Harold, do you teach at all? Not really. I I, I hang out at the bar and tell stories. Oh, well, that's, that yeah. works. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, an education numbers. too, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you teaching any? Uh, I have been until I just moved recently into this new apartment, my wife and I, and it's a uh, 20 floor high rise and thin walls. So mm. it's kind of hard to teach here. But I prior to this, we had a house that we rented for the past 16 years. And I taught... Uh, two ensembles a week and uh usually two or three private drum students 
and a couple of Zoom now and then. Mm -hmm. you know. So I, I've been teaching right along till recently. Hammer, I know you still teach a little bit, right? Not very much. Um, you know, since we're back up from the pandemic, the, I'm happy to say work is is almost too plentiful for an for an aging, grizzled veteran. Uh, you know, I, 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 we've all done one nighters like that. I, I've got one day at home the whole month of June, and that's that's a little much for me now. For and it's all travel, so. Um, yeah, the work is there, and I don't have. I really, when I go home, I go home to vacation, and then I'm I'm working on the road. I'm still traveling quite a bit, so I, I work on the road. But I go home to have a vacation, and uh, I don't want to teach when I'm home. So I'll I'll maybe I'll do probably a half dozen lessons a year, maybe you know something like that. You guys hear any other hotbeds of uh, musicians or drummers from some small community we wouldn't know of? I don't think it's isolated. I think everybody has so much information right in front of their face now that they, they're learning from every. I had a guy from from uh, Venezuela who wanted to study with me about seven, eight years ago, and he was all over the place. It was like there was eight bars of Brian Blade, eight bars of Jimmy Cobb, uh, a little Dijonette for four bars. And I was like, like, man, this guy's like cutting and pasting all these people and i said so your teacher was really versatile in showing you all these people right and he goes we don't have any jazz teachers there and i said where'd you learn and he said youtube you know just click on the youtube and and you you copy what you see you know so that's how he put his jazz vocabulary together so i don't wow. think they're pockets is what i'm saying i think it's you know i think anybody can find anything anytime now hello everyone my name is david victor I'm General Manager with the Craviato Drum Company. We wanted to offer a one-ply, solid-shell product, but we wanted it to stay true to our mission of offering handmade drums of uncompromised quality built here in the USA. So take a listen to our Center Stage Series drum set. Well, I want to ask Harold again about, you know, I, I yeah. saw you with the Basie Band. That was your next gig after Paul Winter, right? No. No, I did things like Eddie Harris. Oh, right. The, I, was, I was with him. Exodus. Yeah. Yeah. Exodus yeah. and yeah. Uh, Bunky Green. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. And, did you uh, play with that little piano player, that guy? Uh, what was his name? Jack DeJeanette? <laughs> yeah, he was on piano. <laughs> we had a trio. You had little drums, too. Yeah. <laughs> He cop copped all my shit, man. I bet. <laughs> That's I now look where he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Shit. But no, I no, I didn't basically no, I was working around town there. Fred Wacker, he had a okay. big band in Chicago. And uh I was working the original Playboy Club. Oh okay. And I did the Marty 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 something on on a TV show. He was a gossip columnist, huh. and I did his TV show. Okay. So so yeah, I was uh, a lot of other little things, and I was busy working. I went on the road for three hundred dollars when I was making six hundred dollars at home. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have much sense then. It was mentality, but it was the music. Yeah, six hundred yeah. was good then. Oh, yeah. Well, you better believe it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, sitting I, next to Freddie Green, you should have been paying him, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a, there you go. 
So there how, you go. how did yeah. you, how did you know that you, you knew somebody to get on the Basie band or they'd heard you? Uh, a trombone player named Harlan Floyd. Okay. He was from Chicago. He was from Chicago and he'd gotten with the band about six months or a year before. Yeah. And they, they were in New York and Rufus was with the band, mm. but, but he got called to go do a gig with Duke. Right. And he I saw, and, I saw him with Duke at, at IU. They came through and played. Well, he went out with him and for some reason they got somewhere. They went, I think that's when Duke went to the far East. Yeah. And they were too far away for him to get back. Oh, okay. And, uh, they called they got this another combo. Jones. so so sort of speed jones right (laughs) yeah 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 sort of Uh, exactly i i never i never knew how you got on the band i saw you at anderson madison heights gym in uh i want to say 70 71 Okay. Yeah, and okay. Uh, they had a yeah. whole series there. They had the Basie Band and and Jaws did a lot of you know, that band. You of course you know, and then Buddy's yeah. Band, Stan Kenton's Band with Jerry McKenzie and John Von Olin sat in at the end of the night. And who then, was who was who was Jerry you know, McKenzie with? Jerry McKenzie, the Detroit cop. There were two Jerry McKenzies on the right. Kenton Band, and Jerry's the younger one. The 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 the, the, the he became a Detroit cop, and we're still. Well, I knew the we're, drummer. Yeah, Jerry was a drummer, right? There was little Jerry McKenzie in L.A. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then big Jerry McKenzie was the younger Jerry McKenzie. They both played oh. with Stan Kenton. Wow! And then they okay. had then it was Glenn Miller's orchestra led by Buddy DeFranco. So I mean that whole I just my parents bought the whole series for me to go up to Anderson and see all those. So that's right. that's that's when I I'd seen you with Paul Winter. And then uh, the Basie band. So I was always curious how you got on the Basie band. <laughs> And Joe, like I, had a, I feel like I'm interviewing you now, Joe. I, the uh, recent, yeah. the recent Astrid Gilberto. That you, it's true that you introduced Stan Guest to Astrid. Come on, what's come that? On. No, no, come on. No, somebody, somebody posted that that you introduced the two of them. Oh no way! No oh, way. okay, all right. Well, you all remember a gig somewhere where it was the first time you looked around the room and there were a lot of famous drummers there, and you had to hold it together. You mean like today? <laughs> on, the, on the bandstand. Yeah, yeah. I played the, the five spot in 1960 with an Indiana band, all Indiana guys, uh, except the bass player was uh, Chuck Israels from, uh, from New York. But everybody, David Young, tenor player, Alan Tiger, David Baker, it was uh, George Russell's band. Mm-hmm. And we opened at the five spot. In- it's a record. Yeah, yeah, the record they say at the five spot, but it was a studio session. It was a great court, a great sex set. But we were all young kids; we'd never been to New York before. Mm. And uh, opening night at the five spot, we played opposite Jimmy Jufri with Jim Hall. And anyway, opening night, I looked out, and there's Max Roach, uh, Charles Mingus, Ornette Coleman. Uh, Ed Blackwell, I'm pretty sure, was there. I mean, if the whole place was full of people that I got their records, you know, and they're they're listening to me. Oh my God, you know, I was scared to death. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember. I think it was Max, Max especially Max Roach. He was sitting close to me, 
And so we played the first tune, and, and I dared to look over at him, and he smiled at me. Uh, said, oh, that's all you needed, right? I, I'm okay. <laughs> Max Roach <laughs> smiled. I must be doing something right. I, I was that so was a long way. But it was I a good band. Had, uh, we had a lot of, uh, what do you know, IU, go get them, whatever, mm. varsity, uh, hutzpah, or whatever you call it. So, mm -hmm. anyway. But, Joe, that's funny to hear you tell that story because I can remember my first nervous one. I was with Basie's band like two or three months. We were in Boston at Paul's Mall. Oh, yeah. At, yeah sure. and, and and next door to Jazz Workshop was Clifford Brown and Max Roach. Whoa. Whoa so, so we're up here playing, and in walked Max and Clifford. You know, so I felt like, well, hell, what am I going to play? Because everything I'm playing was what I got from him on the records. <laughs> I started thinking that, and I kind of like come to a freeze. And I ended we ended that set. I got down. I went around to stand beside Max just to see what he was going to say. And he said, oh, so you got this gig. Yeah, man. I never forget that line. Those, those were the records, man. Harold, those yeah, were the yeah. records. We were yeah. trying to play like that. Your house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I think you know, turned me on to Max, man. Yeah. I might have. Yeah. How about yeah. you, Hammer? I know you have a story yeah. like this. Well, yes. yeah, it seemed like every night, you know, when you're, because uh, I went out, uh, the first gig was 20, I was on the road, and, and so you're, you're, you're moving every night, and you're bound to see somebody that scares you to death, and uh, um, it didn't really happen, we did an opposite, a, bi a big band, um, Battle of the Bands, in your neck of the woods, Joe, and the, the music circus out there, that big tent out there near Boston, yeah, yeah. Right, right. I actually got, got a Zildjian endorsement from Lenny DeMuzio that night, I was 20, 23 i guess in the band we were opposite buddy's band and we had a great night and uh joe Lovano, Woody's, woody herman's band woody and herman. with joe that band with joe lovano and okay, got it. mark johnson on bass alan bazuti we had a good band and we did three records in one month that was really a good band and we were we were on that night i'd only been on the band a couple of weeks and you know i know buddy's somewhere listening you know and, and they came out and uh and he was upset and he fired the trumpet player in the first tune and the band was scuffling all night. And I thought, well, there's nothing to be nervous about. Everybody has nights like this, I guess. So I, I kind of, I got over that. But the first one that scared me was when I had replaced, uh, uh, Bobby Durham had left Monty Alexander's gig. And I was 21 at Charlie's Playboy Lounge in Philadelphia, linoleum floor with a wrought iron fence around it to protect the upright piano in the band. And, um, and, and, and Bobby Durham came in with, with the hat and he had a piece strapped to his leg, you know, ex-Marine and he comes in and he's on the left side of the bandstand. I went, Oh man, he's going to hate this, you know, because he was just in this chair. So I kind of choked and we keep playing Monty and John Clayton and turn around like, was it, you know, it's okay. Come on. Billy Joe Jones walks across the the bandstand and sits at the booth right next to my Chinese symbol. Well, now I got stereo panic, you know, and I I really did choke. And that was the last time I did that. It didn't matter who came in, but John Clayton said, you know, nervous, getting nervous is selfish. We need you. You need to play for us. 
Right. You don't care who's in the room. You got to, you know, now go say hi to these guys. You know, and I went over, Bobby Durham ignored me. Yeah, I heard you. You know, and I <laughs> Philly Joe and he was great. That's when I had the lesson, the whole day lesson the next day with Philly Joe. So I, I thought, man, these, they put their drawers on the same way you do, you know, That's how to get over that. So and then the, the next time it happened, the entire jazz at the Philharmonic entourage with Ella and Louis Belson and Brown and a, they came in to hear Monty and John and I at Ronnie Scott's in, in London. And and Louis said, you sound great. Don't remember, we came in to hear you. You know, so it's like, yeah, well, everybody's got to go listen to music sometimes. Don't get so nervous playing for these people. So that, that kind of helped me over that. Adam, you probably have a story like that, too. Oh. <laughs> well, I remember one thing in particular. I was playing at this club, Boomer's in New York. And I hadn't played the Vanguard yet. And I was playing with uh, Bob Mover and uh, bass player Calvin Hill. And Jeff Stout had come down from Boston with James Williams. And I'm playing at Boomers. And uh, I'm nervous. It's my first time playing there, you know, kind of feeling the rite of passage. I'd been there many times. I'd heard everybody playing in there, you know, Cedar, Clifford Jordan, Billy Art, Larry, oh, everybody. So I'm playing and Blakey comes walking in and he comes walking right by me and he looks up at me and I knew him from the scene and, you know, boo, he goes, you're playing your ass off. Thank <laughs> God he said that because two minutes later, Mingus and Nuke come in. Mingus and Sonny Rollins. If he hadn't said that to me, I probably just would have had a heart attack and fallen uh -huh. off the drum stool. But, you uh -huh. know, he gave me that encouragement. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, man, the cats were just so supportive. And uh -huh. uh, I'm so grateful for that, man. And Boo, you know, this guy, what, what can you say <laughs> about him? You know, what a force. And uh, it was good to get that little bit of encouragement. And, you know, it's like, well, I guess I'm doing something right. So that that was good to have. And, uh, yeah, there's been a bunch of those situations where you're thrown and then you look. And, you know, I remember one of the first times I played the Vanguard, I looked next to me and they're right against the, the wall. <laughs> there's like, you know, Mel and Roy Haynes. You know, usually I'm the one listening to them and they were listening to me. And, you know, they were all all very encouraging, man. And I just have so much gratitude for their uh, support. And uh, I guess, you know, they remember when they were the new kids on the block, you know. So we just have to keep it going, you know. <laughs> well, who do you hear that's young doing that Richmond sound? <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be some kids out there. I hope so. Yeah. Right. It's after me. that, that we, uh, There were a couple of really good teachers in, in town when I was coming up. Harold studied with one of them, Jack Krakowski, and I, I had the, the guy that moved in later, uh, but they taught at the same time, John McMahon, and John was a rudimental snare drum teacher, and uh, if you could make the snare line in the marching band, you could run for mayor. I mean, it was kind of that important, you know, and, uh, and, uh, so 
he, I mean, his stable of students continued after I left, and there were there were quite a few. David Hardman is one of them. He went on Woody Herman's band, played with Nat Adderley in Florida. You know, I mean, there there, there are few Richmond drummers that still can really play. If they didn't continue in music, they could play. You know, and, and chose not to do that career. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure where it is now. There's a whole new regime of uh, of that. I, I visited the high school recently, and it's it's drum and bugle corps influence now and not so much uh jazz you know and and uh, it's a other, different time yeah other drum set styles you know so yeah well it's been yeah. a great yeah. great conversation with all of you yeah. uh i i was yeah. delighted when you put this together because these are two of my yeah i not i you know i had as you could tell i had a couple of questions i wanted to ask them they're my heroes mm -hmm. and and they by paving the way they made it possible for me to to, to feel like I could I could have the courage to go after this and do this even when everybody's telling you that it's really not possible and I just kept pointing to to Joe and and Harold and Andy Simpkins as well these guys can do it you know and they played with the same piano player I played with in Richmond so maybe there's a chance so it's it's an honor for me to share this with you two gentlemen Adam, not so much with you, but uh, <laughs> I'm the only mere mortal here, so I <laughs> I don't know. You got, I you was in a different hood, you know. You guys, it was a different pool. You were swimming in a different pool. Yeah, <laughs> but we've all been in the same yeah. bodies of water. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know yeah. I love you, Adam. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amen. Oh, Back man. at you all. Yeah. Back at you all. You've all been an incredible inspiration for me. So I'm yeah. I'm just grateful we could get this together. I mean, we could probably stay here all day and you know have a few pops yeah. and groove away. <laughs> it's easy for me. I didn't have to ask for any questions. Just let you guys have fun together. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, well I owe I owe you. you all a lunch or a beer or a dinner or something when we get together. But I'll be looking. yeah. Joe, great to see you, Harold. Amen. Yeah, you, Adam. you big hammerhead. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you, Michael. Thanks, Mike. Uh, oh, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Joe and, and, and Harold and Jeff. Adam, my co-host. Be all right. well. Be well, Jeff. Uh, all right, Joe. <laughs> you got to. Yeah.